I want to speak to you about God creating people of opportunity. I want to speak to you about God creating people of opportunity. Years ago, when I still worked in recruitment, we had a golf tournament. And uh, the company that I worked for, we had to compete against other companies. So one of the things that you should know about me from the beginning is that I am an average golfer, to say the least. I am not very good at this game. And when we showed up on the day to play golf, I parked next to the three other guys, because we were in a team of four. I parked next to the three other guys that were on my team. When we parked, we got out of the car and I looked at the golf club bag that my grandfather had left to me and the old clubs that were made somewhere, maybe in the 1940s, I'm not really sure. I began to take out my golf clubs and I looked at the golf clubs that emerged from the other three guys and I instantly realised that I was in trouble. They had um, these brand new golf clubs. I don't know if they bought them for the day, but they had these brand new golf clubs and instantly I knew I was in trouble. This is before we even got to the, to the course itself. Now we were playing Ambrose uh, style we, and I'll explain the rules to you in case you don't know how that works. Everybody tees off from the same spot. You take the best shot and everyone drops their ball there and you play on from there. It helps the game move a little bit quicker. And so there's all kinds of companies and it's a team game so everybody has to play a shot. Well, the entire day we never played one of my shots. Not one of my shots because not one of my shots was good enough. I felt dwarfed, I felt uncomfortable and I thought I am in the wrong place. So we, we kept playing. The only reason I was invited is because I had a whole heap of clients that were playing against us. So that was my ticket, but all the other guys were actual golfers. So we're playing and we, we, we come to, uh, one, I think it was the second last hole. And the team turned to me and they say to me at this point, Ben, we have to play your next shot. I think we all knew that we'd avoided it the entire day. But they said, Ben, we have to play your next shot. So whatever you do, the next shot that you hit, you do not have to hit it far. It doesn't have to go a long way. It does have to go straight. So if you could just hit the ball straight down the fairway, we can all drop the balls from there and we can play on from that spot. But it needs to stay straight. I said, okay. It's funny when they gave me that advice as if for the entire day I was selecting where the ball was going. I thought to myself, if you thought that advice was helpful, why didn't you say it after the first time we teed off? I have no choice where it goes. I have no direction in mind. I hit the ball and it goes where it wants to. You know, wherever the Spirit of the Lord carries it. You know, it's like the wind. I, no one knows where it's going. It goes here and there. And Anyway, so I come to the last shot and I hit the ball and it was a cracking shot. It was the best shot that I'd hit all day. It went long and it went far. About halfway through the shot, it begins to turn in the air as if the Spirit of the Lord was carrying it to teach me something about humility. And he carries the ball way off the fairway into the rough. I have no idea where the ball has gone. And truth be told, a word crept out of my mouth that day. 
which I later asked forgiveness for. If anybody knows me, that's very unlike me, but I felt the pressure. I looked at my golf club. I thought, you stupid golf club. This is your fault. I blamed the golf club. I wanted to hit something. I wanted to break something. And I looked at the other guys. And they just hung their heads in shame. And I already felt the shame. Didn't need to look at them. But I felt it when I looked. I felt their eyes in the back of my head. I didn't want to turn around, but I did. I faced it. And we played on. Disappointed. The point is this, you know, I, I'm looking at this golf club. I'm saying, you stupid golf club. No, that is not the problem. The problem is that I'm not a good golfer. <laughs> That's the problem. And, uh, you know, the truth is, in the hands of someone who knows how to play golf, they could have taken my golf club. If I had put my golf club in their hands, they could have done something great with it. There's great opportunity in golf to make a lot of money. If you've got the skills, something I don't possess... I think our lives are kind of like that golf club. And we put our, our lives into the hands of God. He opens our eyes to great opportunity. He opens our eyes to great opportunity. He creates incredible potential for our lives to be used, to do something across the earth. And He also endows us with ability to do something great in His name. Of course, we don't always put our lives in the hands of God. Sometimes we put our lives into the hands of our enemy. Sometimes we give greater opportunity to him to work in our lives than we give opportunity for God to do something great with our lives. But I believe that what God is doing right now across the earth is he's raising up people of opportunity. He's raising up people of opportunity with potential and he's also given people the ability and the capacity to do great things in His name. Potential really means that you've got the capacity to do something great in the future. I think that God gives us potential. I think God gives us, we don't come to God with potential, that's something we get from Him. But we must understand that opportunity is not worth much without potential. I used to work in recruitment. There was opportunity everywhere. I had a lot of jobs that we would post all the time. The problem was, was that there weren't a lot of people out there with the necessary potential, necessary skills, the necessary ability to apply for the roles that exist. Our life is like that. There are plenty of opportunities that exist on the earth today for us to do something about what we see as God's people. But without the necessary potential, which God awakens in us, Without the necessary ability which God gives to us, there is not much that we can do. Let me just talk to you one moment as a pastor, what I've seen. What I see when I meet with people, and I meet with people all the time, I have conversations uh, with people a lot. It's part of my job, part of the, one of the best bits about it. I love have, catching up and having coffee. Listen, you ever ask me for a coffee, it'll be a bizarre thing for me to say no, because I love doing that. So when I meet with people and I, I speak to them about how their life is going, I meet people with outrageous capacity and ability to do things on behalf of God. I mean, I have met some amazing people. And some of the people that I've met through my time just pastoring church, uh, some, some people I met, the same people with incredible, incredible capacity, they're not really doing much for God. They don't do, they're not really doing much for Him. 
I want to be clear in saying that I'm not talking about serving in church. Can we be a little more broad than that this morning? I mean living in your life calling. I mean doing the thing that God has sort of put upon you and what He's asked you to do. I've met many people with great capacity to do things on behalf of God, but they're not doing it. And at the same time, I've met people that when you first meet them, maybe they appear to have limited capacity, but they keep putting their opportunity and their life in the hands of God. And as I've just seen people grow and develop over time and people, you know, I've learned this, people surprise you. People just surprise you. People show up and, and, and you, you know, it's not that I think they don't have much to offer. I think a lot of the time, they, maybe they don't believe they have much to offer. And yet they keep putting their life in God's hand. They keep saying yes to Jesus. They keep doing it. And over time, you think to yourself, wow, I can't believe how well this person is doing in life. I believe that God has called His church, us, to be world changers, to be people that shape the world, not just our world. I mean the world. There is no telling this morning, as you're hearing these words today, what you will do post this message. There is no telling what you will do. And this is all I've come to understand. It's that if you put your life in God's hands, He can use you to do the most outrageous things that would surprise even you. The truth is, most of the time we look into heaven, we believe God is able to do stuff, but we live under a glass ceiling. We never really rise above this level that we think, we think, I can see the possibility and, and the possibility to maybe go beyond it. But really, sometimes we set our own limitations. There is no telling what God could do with any one of you if He decided to and if you were to put your life in His hands. But something that's sad is when I see world changers whose opportunity in life just snatched away from them. That is so sad for me as a pastor. And I meet with people and I think, you're amazing. You're an incredible human being. What you've gone through, your life experience. Sometimes you meet people at church and you, know, you just have no idea what they've gone through in life. And you sit down, you take a few moments, you listen to the story, you hear about their upbringing, you hear about maybe how their father treated them, about what happened in their life, you hear about their divorce, you hear about these things that happened and you think to myself, you are an incredible human being. And yet you see opportunities being snatched away from people and I hear it in the sound of their voice. I hear it in their lack of, it's not that they have a lack of faith in God, it's more that they have a lack of faith and they're, in, in God's ability maybe to use them. I know that sounds paradoxical. I think it is. It's funny how some people think that God can do all things except when it comes to them. And they seem to live under that sort of glass ceiling. I want to tell you today that God can take anyone and use anyone, but it's sad when you see people limited by their ability to believe that God is able to use them. So here's what I want to read. Let's, we're going to come back to this thought, but I want to speak to you this morning about how you came to be here. Okay? Just for a moment, how you actually came to be here. Now, I'm not talking about how you came to be in church. You know, I mean, if you're sitting here today, you're a Christian, you've given your life to Jesus, I want to talk to you about how you came to be here. First, come on, work with me. Here we go. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
there's a point when you were dead in your trespasses. It means, what does that mean? It means you were dead in your sin. It means you were incapable of helping yourself. When it says dead, it means talking spiritually. When you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When you were born, you were, there was a part of you that was born dead. Okay, I'm just speaking theologically here. There was a part of you that was born dead. You were born physically alive, but spiritually you were born dead. Now, the thing about being born spiritually dead is dead people can't pray for themselves. You've never seen a dead person say, wait, let me pray and bring myself back to life. It doesn't make sense. And you can't do this with your spirit. Actually, what happened is that God came and he made you alive together in Christ. What he did is he came and he resurrected your spirit. He, this is the amazing thing. At the moment when God raised you and he resurrected your spirit, that power that raised Christ from the dead suddenly in some way became alive in you. Now, I want to tell you today that when God did that, he instantly developed in you opportunity where you never had it before. You never had the opportunity to do things on behalf of God before because spiritually speaking, you were dead. But God raised you not because you have great opportunity. Sometimes people say this, wow, if that person was to give their life to Jesus, they would do great things in his name. But that's not how this works. God says the opposite. He says he uses what is foolish to shame the things that are wise, to shame the, the wise people. So God can take anyone and raise them up. No, let me tell you what God does. doesn't matter how foolish you were before. When God raised you up, He gave you incredible opportunity. And it goes on. It even gets better than that. The reason that God saved you first off is that he's, he, at the end of the day, He has great mercy towards you. I want you to understand this morning Whatever situation you go through, whatever circumstance you face, God saved you, not because you had great potential. It's all on Him. He saved you because He loves you. Now, how comforting is that? Because if you ever feel like you start to stuff this up, the same love that He had for you before you gave your life to Jesus is the same love He has for you after you gave your life to Jesus. So whether you do great or whether you don't, it doesn't really matter to God. He loves you just the same. He loves you all the same. His motivation towards you is always out of love because that's who He is. It says that He, he raised us up and it says that He, by grace, that we have been saved. Do you know in the verses that we're reading right now, the word grace can actually also be used in terms of power. In other words, it's a grace that's powerful. Maybe not used in every context of the Bible, but in these verses, you can use the words grace and power and they're almost sort of meaning the same thing. So God raised you up by His power and by His grace. He raised you up and He seated you in heavenly places. Now, here's what I want you to understand. There was a point where you were spiritually dead. You didn't have much or if anything to offer God. That's not why He saved you. He came and He raised you up and He gave you the gift of salvation simply because He loves you. Now, what's the next thing that He does after He saves you? He seats you. 
He saves you and then He seats you. Do you know what that is symbolic of? Being seated in this sense, being seated in heavenly places is about your position. It's actually about authority. When God saved you, He instantly gave you authority. Instantly gave you authority. That means that there's no gap between when He raised you and then if you act good enough over a period of time and if you work hard enough, maybe God will give you some of that authority that's been promised. But that is not how it works. You are raised and almost at the same time as you are raised by that Spirit, you are seated instantly because He gives you authority. Why? Because the resurrection power, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the moment that you're raised, it begins to live in you. You are already seated. I'm going to tell you why this is important in just a moment, but you are already seated. Now, what I want to do is look at how you already have the authority. If you're here this morning, you're, you're seated right now. You're physically seated, I know. You, you probably knew that. But I want to say you are also spiritually seated in a position of authority. You got that the moment that God saved you. You got that straight away. Now I want to look for a moment about how these things begin to get snatched away from people. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that when he would begin to speak about the kingdom of God, that the enemy would come and try to snatch these this life calling away from you. He tried to convince you and talk you out of it, maybe cause you to look in the other direction. We heard about that the other week. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take some scripture and I'm going to mesh these two scriptures together. Okay? And on the one slide, I'm going to show you both. The first scripture is the parable of the sower. And verses later, Jesus explains what that parable is about. So I'm going to put the parable and then I'm going to put his explanation. We're going to mesh them together. We're going to look at the first three right now. The parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path and the birds came and they devoured them. And then Jesus explains it later. And this is what he says. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and they don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown Along the path. You know, the, the truth is, is that people hear the words of the kingdom and before they can fully understand what it's about, it's snatched away from them. I have seen this many times, uh, many times as a pastor, not just as a pastor, but just as a friend. I invite my friends to church. They come for a couple of weeks. They hear the words of the kingdom. They, I ask them how they're enjoying Hey, did you have a great time today? It was great. I heard what you said. I understood it. It felt relevant to me. Great. I'll see you next week. But I don't see them again. And I see what happened between that experience. All kinds of things go into people's minds. I want to tell you that the enemy, the evil one that they talk about, has a vested interest in making sure before the seeds of the kingdom take root in a person's heart that they get snatched away. That's where we come in. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's your job to make sure and ensure that doesn't happen. If that seed gets snatched away, sow something fresh. Sow something new. Begin to speak words of life into people all over again. Don't just take it. 
lying down. Don't just hear from somebody comes along. Oh, I loved it. It was fantastic. They don't come back and you give up. Well, we did our best. No, we step in. We fill the gap. I'm going to keep sowing words. You will not. Hey, hey, evil one. You're not going to be able to keep up with the words of life that I keep sowing into people's heart. You're going to try to snatch away everything that I sow. But I promise you this. One of the things that I say, it's going to take root. And when it does, the kingdom will grow inside a person's heart. Let's look at the next one. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. This is Jesus' explanation. He says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. We've seen this many times, yes? People that hear it, they immediately receive it with joy. This is amazing. Oh, I I, I love God. This is fantastic. They receive it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a little while. But when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. When people hear the words of the kingdom, they receive it. They think this is fantastic. And they hit opposition. They just hit opposition. I feel like at that point when people hit opposition... The evil one, who's responsible for snatching away the seeds, just comes into that moment right then. Hey, if God really loved you, he wouldn't leave you the way that you are. Hey, if God really loved you, this wouldn't have happened. It's like right at that moment we hit challenges or maybe there's this wrong sense of expectation. I've heard this from people many times where they say, but I'm a Christian now. Shouldn't life, I should be able to pray and and doesn't my life get better? I think that sometimes when people come to what we do, they think I'm going to add the gospel to my life and God really becomes a means to the ultimate end. The end is what I want to accomplish in life. So I'm going to use God as my means to accomplish my own end. And when God, when it doesn't work that way, when it, when, when it doesn't work in the sense that, hey God, you should be fixing this so I can keep doing what I want to do, they become disillusioned. How many people do you know have become disillusioned because they've asked for something and it hasn't worked out? Hey, you just see this sort of thing happen all the time. Let's look at another one. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Jesus' explanation, he says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. Do you know what the deceitfulness of riches are? You will never have enough. That's the deceitfulness of riches. You will never have enough. So if you are always feeling in lack, what will you do? You'll begin to focus more on it. Now, how many people do you know that live in a world where in the distant, far-off future, as soon as they become financially stable, will at that point commit their life to the kingdom. I've heard this many times. Let me go and do what I need to do first, and then I'll come back and we can, I'm, I'm going to get serious, but I've got a five-year plan here. And as soon as I've made the money, as soon as my family is financially secure, as soon as I've done that, then everything will be okay. At that point, I'll commit myself. Listen, this is what Scripture says. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things that you need will be added to you. 
The deceit of riches says, no, don't live like that. You need right now. Don't seek the kingdom, seek the riches, and that will enable you to live a kingdom life. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Paul says. That's not what God says. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you really need will be added to you. I think sometimes God just likes to make me laugh. He just sets me up. So let me tell you what happened as I wrote this line in my message, as I was preparing for this message. My son Isaac walks in the door. I literally just wrote the line that we talked about. My son Isaac walks in the door. I'm working on my computer and he comes up and there's a pile of coins on my desk. He comes and he grabs one of the coins and he says to me, Dad, I need money. He's three. He says, Dad, I need money. And then he says something that cracked me up laughing. He goes, but it's your choice if you want to give it to me. I said, I know that. I'm already aware of that. Thank you, son. He says, it's your choice whether you want to give it to me, but I need this. I said, what do you need money for? He said, oh, to buy things. Do you know what his needs are? Lollies. <laughs> this is what he needs. He needs lollies. So he says, Dad, I need this. When we take him to swimming lessons, 50 cents will buy two chubba chups or two snakes. So he knows the, he's starting to understand. So he, he gets it and he says, Dad, I need this. It's turned to him, and I'm not trying to be clever. This I actually said. I said, mate, you don't need money. I said, I look after everything that you need. It's my choice, and I am not giving this money to you. But whatever you need, I'll give it to you. So just relax. I said it, and I cracked up laughing because I thought, I just wrote that. <laughs> the Bible works. Anyway. I thought that was hilarious. Let me, let me tell you something. The enemy, the evil one, he will focus his energy and his attention on you. He doesn't really care too much for people that don't have the kingdom in their hearts because they can't do much about what he's doing on the earth. He doesn't really care too much about that, but he will focus his attention and his energy on people that have received the kingdom because they provide the greatest threat. Look at this. This is the second half to that verse we just read in Ephesians. It says, By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. We just spoke about that. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are now. You, no one can boast. Look how amazing I am. Oh, the insight, the revelation. No one can boast. God's done it. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work, walk in them. Here's the, here's the thing. You have been recreated. You haven't just been created. You have been recreated in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, we talk about baptism. Baptism is symbolic of death, burial and resurrection. It's symbolic of your old life has gone. Your new life has come. It's a new life that God has brought to life. 
He's brought you to life and He's given you that power so that now you can do something about the world that you see. His passage says that we are His workmanship. Have you ever considered, think about this for a moment, that your life, you are the result of a master craftsman who's shaping and cultivating your life. He says we are His workmanship. You are the result, the, the creative effort of God being at work. And, 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 and He wants to reshape the world. Do you know how He does it? He reshapes you. And as He begins to shape you, He begins to reshape the world. We are His workmanship. We, are, we were spiritually dead. Here's the thing. Here's how we know it was a gift from God, that salvation is a gift from God. This is how we understand it. The Bible says that no one can... This is what Jesus said, actually. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father, so no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. You can't come to God your Father or you can't come to Jesus unless the Father actually draws you. It's an invitation. It's a gift. It's something that He's given to you. And I want to tell you that He drew you for a purpose. He drew you for a reason. He's got plans for you. Do you know what they are? They're called good works. And God's prepared them for you. You, you know, I, he prepared these good works for you. They're already prepared. What you've got to do is just begin to walk in them. It's like the race has been won. Everything's already been done. It's been prepared. It's been set up. Now you just got to do a victory lap. Just, just do another lap of the track. You've already won. You're already there. You're already seated in position of authority. You don't need to work to get those things. So you just sort of need to begin to do like a, like a victory lap. You know, the thing is, God says that we've been created for good works. And even as I say that right now, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, are you serious? I've been created in good works. Let me show you my life right now. Show me where the good works are. Show me where these things are that you promise. Let me tell you something about God. He could still be working in you and on you. I don't know what you're waiting for in life right now, but it's been my experience that most people in life face challenges all the time. We've got a room full of people here today. There are probably heaps of challenges all over the place. God is still at work in them. I want to encourage you to hang on because this is what God says. He says, can a woman forget, this is out of Isaiah, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb. Yet these may forget, highly unlikely, that a, that a woman would forget her son. But he says it's possible that these may forget, yet God will not forget you. God will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You've been created for good works. But there are walls that you come up against in life. There are things that you hit and they are always before God. He has not looked away from you. He has not forgotten about you. And so when you begin to think about the walls that you hit in life and you think, what about my son? What about my daughter? What about my situation, God? You say you've created me for good works, but I, I mean, I'm stuck in the middle of this moment right now. I'm telling you, even though what I'm saying may contradict your circumstances right now, hang in there. God is on His way. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's engraved you onto the palm of His hand. The walls that you hit, what you come up against, it's, it's ever before Him. He knows about it. He sees it. He's aware of it. You've been created for good works. The fact that they use the term work 
It means that there's something you're supposed to do. There's something that's been planned for you. He's prepared it for you and He's preparing you for them. He's bringing all things together. It's been prepared so that you can basically just step out and begin to step into a situation that needs your abilities. God is creating people of opportunity. He's creating people who see opportunity. He's creating people with capacity and not just capacity, but ability to change the things that they see in the world. Those are the good works that God has actually prepared for you. Your life has been set up and it is amazing the opportunity that you see when you've been spiritually awakened. There are things that were probably going on around you all the time that you thought you could do nothing about. But when you got saved and you were seated in a position of authority, suddenly all the things that you had the inability to do, God gave you the capacity for. He opened your eyes to opportunity. God has been opening my eyes to opportunity to just pray for people. When now, I mean, we're starting to see people get healed in our services all the time right now. So suddenly opportunity was all around me. I never noticed it. I didn't see it. I see people limping on the street. I didn't even consider an opportunity. I didn't think about it. I'm a pastor. What is wrong with me? You know, I didn't see it as an opportunity. But God has revealed things to me and He's opened my eyes. And I thought, I can do something here. I can do something about that. It's amazing what opportunities begin to be awakened in your spirit when God reveals His kingdom to you. So what you have to do is begin to change your mind because the next time you hit the wall, maybe the reason that the wall is there, the wall is an opportunity to provide to everyone around you to show how good your God truly is. Instead of seeing the wall, you just have to shift the way that you're thinking. You have to just change your mind the way that you're thinking. You come up against it and you think, this is impossible. Oh, but wait, with God, all things are possible. Oh, I don't think that God, I don't know if God can do anything about this situation. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember Jesus healed everyone that came to Him. Wait. And suddenly that Scripture that's in your mind, it begins to remind you. It's like the Word becomes alive and it begins to speak to you and it says, wait, you've got a job to do. Wait, there are good works that have been prepared for you. There's something, there is a task, there is assignment. All you've got to do is begin to walk it out. So begin to run your victory lap. Begin to do the things that God is putting upon your heart. Be aware of it. Be careful who you give opportunity to. If you put your life, just like that golf club, in the hands of God, He will provide you incredible opportunity. He'll bring you life and life abundantly. He will transform your life. He will tra- and He'll do it for your good, motivated completely by love. If you put opportunity into the hands of the evil one who wants to snatch away opportunity, who wants to steal your future, who wants to erode your trust for, with God, If you put your opportunities into Him and give your life over to Him, He will destroy your life. He's motivated by hate. He hates you. Not because It's not personal. You're just made in the image of God. So He hates you. He hates all of us, mainly probably just because God loves us. He hates whatever God loves. So by default, He hates you. He wants to ruin your life however He can. So be careful who you give opportunity to in life. The walls, the the stuff that you come up against, give that over to God. Give Him every opportunity to work that resurrection power that you've been seated in a position of authority. He's already given it to you. You can do something about what you see. You think who would put their life in the hands of the evil one? Who would do that? 
More people than you think. More people than you think. I'll give you one line of Scripture that will show this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. wonder what opportunities for Him to work in your life are just wide open right now. wonder what opportunities are there in your life. And He's just beginning to work. You know, I've found that the enemy of your soul, and He did this to me for years, He'll leverage everything He can in your life as an opportunity. If you're full of guilt, you've got sin in your life right now. Some of you are standing here today, no one knows the things that you struggle with. You might be struggling horribly with pornography and no one knows and you're keeping it a secret from everyone, but you struggle horribly with it and you feel guilty and you feel shameful, you feel horrible. You come into this place, you sit down here and you raise your hands, but the truth is you feel like an imposter. Let me tell you something, don't you ever feel like that. God came, He died for that sin. God came to set you free. God came to remove your sin as far as the East is from the West, not just your past sins, but all your future sins. So when the enemy tries to leverage opportunity in your life to separate you from the God that loves you, shut that down in Jesus' Name, because there is no way that He should be given that opportunity to work in your life. As He begins to leverage that opportunity, here is a lie that He will tell you. Because of your sin, you don't have the authority to do anything about your problems. When you're struggling with sin in your life, He will, tell, he will say to you, there's nothing you can do about this problem. He will just teach you that. He will say that to you. Here's what you need to know. We just read before that He gave you that authority, that He seated you in heavenly places. He seated you, He gave you the authority before you even did one thing. If you believed a lie, you, He's trying to trick you out of this idea that the authority is already yours. He's trying to make you work for it. Don't ever fall into that. The authority that you need to overcome pornography is the authority you already have. He tries to make you think that you don't have it because of your sin. You've already got it. So if He can make you think you don't have it, you'll never exercise your right to use it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this sound crazy to you? Or do you get what I'm talking about today? You have been given authority. You don't need to earn that. Even the authority that's given to you is given by grace. It's given by grace. Let me show you one more type of person that Jesus talks about. He says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the Word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. I want to explain to you what Jesus is really saying there. He's saying people that hear the words of the Kingdom, when it takes root, they will yield an outrageous harvest. He says 100 fold. I know none of, not many of us are farmers here, so let me explain to you. What, here's a great fold, five to 15 fold. That's great. 100 fold is outrageous. 100 fold is outrageous. But you know what happened once? And I believe that this is what Jesus is referring to. Don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it happened one time in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 26 and in verse 12, it says 
that Isaac went and he lived in the land of the Philistines. And while he lived there, he began to plant and grow crops and sow fields and all the rest of it. And it says that he yielded a hundredfold. It only ever happened once and it happened because God blessed him and his wealth and his power and his authority became so great that the Philistines wanted him to be gone. Here's my point. Here is Isaac in the, in the middle of a world that completely is polar opposite to everything he believes. And in the centre of it, God blessed him outrageously so that every, the entire world around him became jealous about what he had. And they could see it. And they said, you've got to go, you've got to leave. Here is my point. What I believe God is wanting to do is take people like you and me who are in the world and bless us outrageously so that we, we receive and yield a harvest that is outrageous. Only it's not crops and plants, it's people's lives. It's the Kingdom of God coming to life. And He wants us to yield it. God is looking to find people on the earth who would believe what He says, who received the Kingdom. And He says, when you receive it, when you understand it, when you get this in your heart, you will yield an outrageous crop. You will bring in a harvest that will make the world around you jealous. I'm not talking about wealth. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the power of God being at work in your life so that the entire world that you're surrounded by would see that and go, there is something different about you. How are you able to do the things that you're doing right now? I'll tell you how the Kingdom of God came alive, came alive in someone's heart and it produced a harvest that's exponential. I'm finishing really quickly. Here's what you've got to do. Please don't let, do not let the seeds of the Kingdom be snatched away from you today. I've had too many conversations, too many talks with people where I see God could do something with this person. Wow, does this person have a future? Wow, is this person able to do great things? And I speak to them and they don't think they're able to. Something's being snatched away. Maybe they had an idea in their head one day that they would grow up and do something great, but that seed is snatched away. I wanna encourage you this morning. Don't let the seeds of what God is planting in your heart be taken away from you for any reason. You've been seated in a position of authority. You don't need to work for it. It's what you need right now to get to where you're going. You already have it. We just got to learn to operate in it. Can we stand together this morning?